0: What do you desire? Asked another way, what's the longing of your heart? What is it, or who even, is it that you want more than any other to be at the heart and the center of your life? These questions kicked off our summer preaching series on renewal as we considered last week what it is that we desire for our lives. And I made the suggestion for us to consider that desires are not bad. In fact, we are desiring creatures, desiring creatures first and foremost. Yes, we are thinkers, but we think either to validate our desires or to overcome their urgings. And I gave you the example of my great vulnerability and temptation with Bavarian cream donuts at the donut shop on 56th and Keystone, where I want to eat lots of them. That is my desire, but I know better in my head that I should not do that. Thinking is what we do so that we don't just act on desirous instincts just like other animals do. If anything, we desire too little. C.S. Lewis would challenge us in his writings that we don't desire strong enough. In fact, that's why we settle for less than God. So desire, I think, is good. Desire is just a reality. Desire is at the heart of who we are. But our desires need to be guided Nurtured and cultivated. And so I invited us to re- nurture our practices of the kingdom that we do together in community by renewing our desire for God and His mission. Practices that especially help us to desire what truly satisfies, namely, God and Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, it makes sense, right, that we would desire God above everything else in this world. And not just God and God's self, but what God's dreams are, what God's vision is, what God's heart is for the world, what God's mission is. The reality, though, is that this is not always as easy as other desires are. All the pretty things that want to steal our hearts away. Wealth and financial means, security, social status and prestige, pleasure, power, control. These all seek to woo us for our allegiance. Hence, we need our desires purified because our desires for other than God will quickly become idols. And each idol then will corrupt and diminish the life that we were born to live. David Benner, the author of Desiring God's Will, says this in his book that I think we have right there. Every idolatrous desire that is everything that we love and desire more than God, tends ultimately to diminish our humanity and damage our soul. In contrast, a desire for God leads to fulfillment of that longing and enhancement of our being. Hunger for God will not go unanswered because it is a gift from God. Hunger for God will not go unanswered desire for God will not go unanswered. There are times where I imagine that you, like me, sometimes think, is that really true? God, I'm desiring you, and I'm struggling to connect with you. Or someone we love, we hear them say, well, I've tried to connect with God, and God doesn't seem to be speaking. God doesn't ever talk back to me. And that challenges, what David Benner says, challenges my reality and my reality with other people at times, and yet I believe it is true. I believe that if and as we are desirous of God, that desire, that hunger for God will not go unanswered because it is innate within us as a gift from God to desire God. We are made to, quote unquote, run on God. And so we need God to take both our superficial and our deep-seated desires and purify them. Purify them so that we desire him. So if we are desiring creatures first and foremost, and yet if we struggle between idolatrous desires and the desire for God, and when then we need our desires formed and purified, what, we might ask, will do that? What will form and purify our desire to be for God in Jesus Christ and his mission more than anything else? I believe the answer is spiritual practices. The answer is what Ruth Haley Barton calls sacred rhythms. They form and purify our desire for God. So this is what Barton states. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. Hence, what we are looking at in this month of June and on into July particularly as we consider spiritual practices, spiritual rhythms, sacred rhythms that form our desire for our deepest longings for God. And in particular today, we begin with the spiritual practice of prayer. Prayer forms and purifies our desire for God above all other idolatrous pursuits. David Benner, again, one final time, says this. Says this we cannot uh, is that me am i messing this up i might be messing this up practicing so- and solitude and stillness um i gotta go backwards Hmm. yep one more back if it happens to work but i can let go of this clicker and not touch it that'd be totally fine with me it starts with we cannot purify our own desires. Oh, no problem. You get to listen. I'll read it slow. <laughs> Where my kids go to school, they get no screens. They have to memorize recitations, so I, this is a test in memory for all of us, right? And can we listen anyway? Benner says this: we cannot purify our own desires. Prayer sorts out our desires. Prayer is the place of divine transformation because it's in prayer that our hearts are slowly transformed into the heart of God. We cannot purify our own desires. Prayer sorts out our desires. Prayer is the place where we discover that our deepest desire is nothing other than God alone. Prayer is the place where our deepest desire is nothing other than God alone this is the purification of desire god's desires become our desires because prayer sorts out our desires prayer a simple spiritual practice right just pray talk to god and yet challenging at times even in the challenge we remember that it's the practice that you might say is the essence for desiring god Now let me pause here and state the definition that we're going to work with as we talk about prayer. Prayer is all the ways in which we communicate and commune with God in order to deepen our intimacy with God. Prayer is all the ways that we communicate and commune, spend time with God, in order to deepen our intimacy with God. Prayer is communion with God and is ongoing practice for us. So our desires are purified through prayer. There's two questions I want to respond to in relation to this idea for the rest of our time this morning in this message. First is to say and to communicate and to have you consider how this is true that prayer purifies our desire for God. How do we know that it's true that prayer will purify our desire and form our desire for God and his mission? And then second, how do I do prayer so as to see my desires purified for God? How do I actually practice prayer? Communion with God in prayer purifies our desire for God because it is being with God that our desire is made to long for God even more. This is the simple idea of being with the one you love makes you want to be with them more. Oh, I know we say absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? And yet that's not always true. In fact, Being with the one we love, spending more time with them in relationship is what stirs our heart to want them even more, to be with them even more. If you want to, I invite you to turn to Psalm 63. Let's look at the words of the psalmist to this end. Psalm 63. Let's just start at verse 1. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole body longs for you. This is not the only time that a psalmist speaks of this great desire for God and how it feeds their heart to commune with God. Psalm 27 One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I don't remember who said this first that I heard it, but the word gaze is such a beautiful word because the word is not glance. The psalmist is not saying, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all days of my life to glance at the beauty of the Lord and then glance over here at something else, but to fix my eyes and gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Think of a beautiful sunset. When it grabs your attention, Do you really just want to glance at it and then move off? I want to gaze. I want to stay focused in that beauty of what God's created. Psalm 73 that I quoted last week. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. As another translation says, the earth has nothing I desire besides you. Feeding our desire for God by pursuing God, as the psalmists speak about, only feeds that desire even more for God. Similarly, feeding our connection with God by continually being with God, communing with God, communicating with God, purifies our desire for more. This is what Jesus is teaching about in John 15. Turn over to John 15, verse 4. Very famous passage talking about the vine and the branches. But it's speaking of this invitation to continually commune with God. And that something is going to happen in us if we commune with God, if we abide. John 15, 4 and 5. Remain in me, Jesus says, and I will remain in you. In other words, if you stay with me, if you abide with me, Then I will abide with you. I will remain with you. I will stay with you. I won't leave the room. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This idea of remain, or as another translation uses the word abide, is to stay continually in the realm of. To stay continually in the realm of. In the sphere of. In other words, I'm here, and you're here, and we are here together, God. And I will remain with you, and you will remain with me. Now we all know hopefully, that God has promised us words like, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, right? Like that we have this passage in Joshua where this is a promise of God to Joshua, but then it's repeated again in Hebrews to the people of God. And this is true. God is always present to us. There's nothing that God misses. However, our attentiveness to God, our awareness of God and the Spirit of God is something to tap into. There are radio frequencies all around us right now, correct? There are Wi-Fi signals all around us right now. My wife would say too many. They're doing damage to us. There are things that we can tune into, become aware, if we have the right device. Fortunately, with God, we don't have to have the right device. We need only to acknowledge God's presence, and we can be attuned to God. I read recently this quote saying, the only time you're separated from God is when you think you're separated from God. If you think you're separated from God, you're separated from God. Not really. God's still with you. But you think you're separated from God. So we're invited to tune in, to commune, to abide, to remain. Eugene Peterson says it this way in the message, John 15. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, But only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship, intimate and organic. Those are beautiful words to reflect on our relationship with God. The harvest is sure to be abundant. But separated, you can't produce anything practicing the presence of God communing with God being attuned to God regardless of the circumstances this is also what Jesus exemplified in his own life i'm going to go through these rather quickly but just hear these different moments from the gospels about Jesus mark chapter 1 before daybreak jesus got up went out to an isolated place to pray luke chapter 6 one day soon afterwards jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night Matthew chapter 14, immediately after this, Jesus insisted disciples get in the boat and cross to the other side. He sent the people home, and then he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Luke chapter 9, one day Jesus left the crowds. Let's pause on this for just a moment, and remember, all of these people are coming to Jesus for what? Healing, having demons driven out from them, finding wholeness. And this is Jesus' mission, right? Right? to do ministry, to find the lost and help them realize, you're not lost, you're with me. And what does Jesus do? Walks away from the crowds to pray. Finally, Luke chapter 5, as a summary statement. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for what? To pray. To pray. If you've ever felt like praying doesn't make a difference for you and you question whether you want to do it or you struggle with prayer, you have your doubts about prayer, when I wonder, okay, God, am I really talking to somebody right now? Because this feels just kind of like I'm on my own in this moment. I always come back to this basic idea. If it was good enough for Jesus to pray, it's good enough for me to pray. If I'm a disciple of Jesus apprenticing my life after Jesus to look and love like Jesus loved and the way Jesus looked and lived, then I should pray. Jesus withdrew often to commune, to communicate with God, to be with God. So how is this true that communing prayer purifies our desire for God? Because it only increases that desire. We are continually with him. It causes us to long for God more than idolatrous desires. And again, it's the simple idea of being with the one you love makes you want to be with them even more. Two examples of this from my own life last summer. On this day, uh, one year ago, my wife and I were waking up in Antigua for our 20th anniversary. And uh, some of you know that Nate has talked about how uh, Nate is headed to Antigua with um, Sarah, right? Thank you. With Sarah, uh, end of August, as part of their renewal time. So we've kind of bonded over this connection of Antigua, which is kind of random that this island in the Caribbean would make this happen. But anyway. We had uh, eight days together, the longest that we have had together in 16 years, because I got a 16-year-old. So pre-children, just the two of us. And I I mean, by the end, I was not thinking, goodness, I just don't feel like being with my wife anymore. Not what was going on in my heart at all. Later that summer, we were able to take a 17-day road trip with our children. Drove through my hometown of Syracuse, New York. Got to show them that. Headed to Boston. Spent five days in Boston at a friend's place through July 4th. It was so fun. Then drove through Pennsylvania all the way to Raleigh, North Carolina, and then eventually from Raleigh back up to Indiana. It was awesome. You're cringing, Kelly. No, I loved it. It was great. It was great. 17 days with my kids, and when I got to the end, I have an 8-year-old, 14-year-old, and 16-year-old. And I got to the end, and what did I want? Well... (laughs) Yes, I will admit that. I do not want more children. But I wanted more time with my kids. I wanted more time, the five of us. Because when we look at our life, like, there's so many things that are happening, so many different relationships. We don't always get a lot of time, just the five of us. And I'm keenly aware with a 16-year-old, this is going to go away really soon. And it was, for us, and I'll tell a little more of my story from last year here in a few moments, but you may understand when you hear that story later on, why a week with my wife in that way, with what last year held for me, and 17 days with my kids were such precious times. And yes, even with the challenges, even with the the 17-day road trip that makes you tired from driving, and you can be cranky with each other in the van, and for whatever reason the 8-year-old daughter doesn't necessarily get along with the 14-year-old son in that moment. Amazing, right? Right? Or something like that. Like the reality is, one, they just did so well together and we did so well together. But two, it stirs the heart to say, but God, this is what you gave us. It's the five of us. We're this, this family and we do love each other. And, and I enjoy so much spending time with them, I would spend more time with them. This is the heart that we have with God. The more we are with God, the more it forms and purifies our heart to want to be with God, to desire God, to pursue God. So prayer purifies and forms our desire and all of that desires, that God desires. It impacts every practice and every way that we walk with God as disciples. But how do I practically do this? What does it look like to do prayer, to commune with God in prayer, to communicate with God in prayer? You know, if you have walked with Jesus for any length of time, there's lots of ideas about prayer and how to pray. Whether it's things like acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication... Or you're aware of ideas like um, centering prayer, which I'll talk about more in a few moments. Or you think about intercessory prayer. Or you think about silence and solitude as you're reading Ruth Haley Barton. There's so many ways to talk about prayer. I want to give emphasis to three ideas for you. Maybe new, maybe not. That uh, go to that idea of how do we then pray to see our hearts formed after God. The first I want to talk about is this idea simply of praying the Psalms. Eugene Peterson has a uh, simple book called The Psalms, which I, I I'm, understand from Nate that Eugene Peterson has shown up in this church in sermons previously, maybe just a handful of times, a little. Peterson has a wonderful book on the Psalms, and he says this about the Psalms. Pray in the Psalms. Psalms are the school of prayer. Psalms are the place we learn how to pray. So what I want to first encourage you to consider, either to add to your prayer life or to begin your prayer life and communing with God, is to consider praying the Psalms. Because when we pray the Psalms, we are given permission to understand all the different ways that we are invited to communicate with God. If you want to go to school for prayer, don't spend the money on a place to lo- go learn how to pray first. Instead, first, just spend time in the Psalms. It's in the Psalms that we learn that there are prayers of adoration and thanksgiving and worship and praise. It's in the Psalms that we learn that there are prayers of lament. Psalm 13 is one of my most favorite parts of all of Scripture. It's the first four verses as a Psalm of Lament where, excuse me, where David is crying out to God saying, How long, how long, how long? How could you, God? How could this happen? Why, why, why? And then the last two verses, with a pause in between, say, but I trust in your unfailing love. It is one of the most honest, real-life expressions in the scriptures of what all of us live in this world. And yet it's a psalm that gives us permission to lament, permission to ask questions, permission to doubt God, permission to speak what's deeply in our hearts of grief, And yet the invitation to say, but God, I will trust you. There are psalms of anger and exasperation where we're invited to honesty and authenticity with God. Where we're allowed to actually rage at God like Psalm 88. And this practice of raging at God might at first sound like unbelief. It might at first sound like blasphemy. But as one author says, don't be fooled. Those who rage at God believe there is a God who's willing to be raged at. And isn't that a gift? Isn't that a gift that God would say, it's okay, you're allowed to be angry with me. I know you're thinking it already. I know you're feeling it already. You might as well tell me. God's okay with that. Because God knows we're human. God knows that when we were first created, we weren't meant to live by faith. Faith came later. Remember in the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve walk in the cool of the garden with God. In Revelation 21 and 22, there will be no sun because God will be the light. And God will be our God and he will dwell among his people right there with his people, us. Faith will go away. This is why 1 Corinthians 13 says there is faith, hope, and love by the, these first two, faith and hope. The greatest is love because faith's going to go away and hope will all be fulfilled. But we'll still have love because God is love. Isn't that an amazing promise? God knows that we weren't meant to live by faith in this world. And so God's okay with our lament. God's okay with our anger. God's okay with our rage. Because it's us being honest with God to commune with God and form our heart from God. And we learn this in the Psalms. The Psalms are our school of prayer. What we sang earlier and heard read, Psalm 51, we learn to confess. We learn to submit ourselves to God. The Psalms can be coupled with journaling, with Lectio Divina. We'll talk about this in two weeks. Praying the Psalms can sometimes lead to a breath prayer. In the book Sacred Rhythms, as you read the chapter on silence and solitude, and you read the chapter on prayer, particularly the chapter on prayer, Ruth Haley Barton will talk about this idea of a breath prayer. Numerous of my breath prayers have come from the Psalms, like, answer me, God, out of the goodness of your love. Don't abandon the work of your hands. The Lord alone led him. These are breath prayers that stay with me, that I repeat throughout the day during certain seasons of my life. And they came from the Psalms, from reading and praying in the Psalms. So first, how do I pray? Let me invite you to go to school in the Psalms, as Eugene Peterson invites us to. Second, some of you may be familiar with this. You may desire to look at something like the Pray As You Go app. So there is an app that you can download on your phone called Pray As You Go. Does anybody use the Pray As You Go app? Any of you have seen this? A few of you? My wife uses this almost every morning for her guided meditation uh, in life where you're working and it feels like you may not quite get the time when you're making school lunches and you're also trying to get ready to go to work. It works really well to do your hair and have the prayer pray in your makeup as you do Pray As You Go. And so that's what she does. And it's been a gift to her. It's a guided time of prayer, a, a lit- really a form of liturgy with scripture and reflection and examine and actual prayers. And so it may, that may be something that you want to use in your life in prayer. Maybe you find it's hard, David, for me to set aside this time because I have to get up and go to work so early or I've got to get up and help with the kids and the family or whatever your situation is. But what if you put it into your car and you use the prayers as you go app as you drive to work? And that's your guided time of communing with God. Because again, what is it doing? It's purifying our desire for God instead of the idolatrous desires that pursue our hearts. And then third, praying the Psalms, the Pray As You Go app. Third is the daily sit, often referred to as centering prayer or contemplative prayer. In Ruth Haley Barton's book, The the Daily Sit is talked about in chapter two with Silence and Solitude. Daily sit is the movement beyond words to an intimacy that requires no words. It's sitting with God in prayer, in contemplative prayer, where we move beyond our words to just being with God, requiring no words. The Daily Sit is us sitting with God and letting our thoughts that come go not trying to hear a word from God, not trying to necessarily feel an emotion with God, not trying to be mindful of something specific, but rather just to sit with God. It, it's this idea. We live all the time in what's called ordinary awareness. What we might say is, we're in this room, we are sitting in chairs, we are in church, he's been talking for 27 minutes and 30 seconds and I'm ready for him to be done. Ordinary awareness. I don't know if it's 27-30 or not. And so in that ordinary awareness, we just know the stuff around us. Then there's spiritual awareness. And for us in this context, it's a spiritual conversation. So I'm ordinarily understanding. I'm in a chair in a building, but it's also a church. And I've sung songs about God and to God and with God with my friends, with my community. And I'm aware that we're having a spiritual conversation right now about prayer and communion with God. But then there's divine awareness. Then there's divine awareness. It's the awareness of our spirit communing with God's spirit. And honestly, it's none of our business what God's actually doing with us in that moment. Because God sees us and knows us better than we know ourselves. God meets with us and does things in our life and in our heart in ways that we won't see till later. And I'm so thankful. Because I don't know if I could handle everything that God would bring to me in the moment. But I need God to be preparing me for what that is. Barton describes it this way. It's the place in time that's set apart for God and God alone. This is the daily sit. A time when we unplug and we withdraw from the noise of our interpersonal interactions. So we go into solitude. We draw, withdraw from the noise and busyness. So we find silence and stillness as well. And the constant stimulation associated with the life in company with others. It's where God's spirit and my spirit dwell together in union. And all the other noise and activity we step away from into solitude, silence, and stillness, so that God's Spirit is in union with our Spirit. So here is how I was taught to do this practice. The idea is very simply to sit in your chair, and in your mind's eye, think about it as that Jesus is sitting next to you. God is sitting next to you. If you want, you could do it. Think of it as on your back deck or your porch. And there's your chair and there's the chair of God next to you in that moment. And as you sit, you begin a timer. Because you're going to sit for a certain amount of time. I started with five minutes. My goal and what I moved to is to sit for 20 minutes. And so in sitting with God in that five minutes, the way it begins, is to resist no thought that comes to your mind. And believe me, you're going to get lots of thoughts. Lots of thoughts are going to come. But retain none of those thoughts. Instead, release every thought. And then return to your breath or your sacred word or uh, some use a sacred image. Today as I sat in my sit, in particular I was paying attention to the, having the rain bring me back, the noise of the rain bring me back. Give my attention to the rain as my coming back to God. And the idea very simply is that you are going to have lots of thoughts. You are going to be all over the place in your mind. But not to use any of those thoughts. Try to remember those thoughts. Don't stop and write them down. You just sit and you just release them and you let them go. I'm horrible at this. Like, when I'm doing my sit, if I'm evaluating it, like, I'm terrible. I think about so many things. I come up with sermon analogies. I come up with thoughts of things I should do for marketing with what we do with the Enneagram. I think about what's going on in the nonprofit that I'm leading and what I need to achieve and and help get done in that situation. I think about parenting, way too often, in that moment of of what I need to do better in that way. And I try to release all of them and just know, okay, I'm just going to return back to God. God, I am here. You are here. We are here together. And it's different. But can I tell you, when I was taught this, having walked with God all my life, I I don't know a day in my life without God. I don't know when I got converted. I don't know when I prayed a prayer. All I know is from the time I can ever remember, God and I have been in relationship. That's my story and my testimony, just the way it's been for me. But when I learned to pray like this two years ago, when it was introduced to me, it was so freeing. Because for me, one of my great challenges is to work in my relationship with God to strive to make my relationship with God better. And so I'm evaluating all the time. Am I good enough for God? Am I doing it well enough for God? Is my relationship strong enough in what God wants it to be? How did I do with that? I evaluate all the time to get better. And as this was taught to me, and I was invited to the daily sit or to contemplative prayer, what was said was, you can't do anything wrong except get up and leave. Yes! I'm just gonna sit here And in faith and trust, I believe God's doing stuff in me. God's doing business with me. And it's none of my business to know what God's doing. That's so freeing. That's so filled with trust, but I don't have to try to achieve. And I'm so driven to achieve in who I am. And yes, it has to do with my Enneagram number. And so this invitation to just sit with God, to commune with God, has become a core practice for me of what it means for me to commune with God. And I believe that it is purifying and forming my desires for God more than anything else. And I believe it because as I have done this, I have noticed that God has been doing things in my life. And I have noticed that in some of the most trying times of my life, or what has been one of the most trying times of my life of the past 18 months, that God has been prepare, had been preparing me for that, and God has been with me in it in unique ways. And I can't tell you all the, t- the tangible ways of what God has done in me. I just know God has done it. So I believe that it's true, that sitting with God in this contemplative sit, this centering prayer, which, by the way, has been around for probably at least 1,600 years in the church, if not 2,000 years if not going back to the psalms, something that meditation meant in the psalms is to to meditate with God, was to just sit with God, God's spirit with your spirit. Maybe not in this exact form, but in this idea of sitting with God. I learned this at the end of July 2018. (coughs) July 2018 at a workshop, this was uh, shared with me, and the challenge was do this for 90 days, and we believe you'll be hooked on doing the daily sit from there forward. So I took that 90-day challenge. In October, I was sitting with my spiritual director, And I said to her, I don't know what's happening, but I just sense that God's doing something with me. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know what it's for. I just know that as I sit and I commune God's spirit with my spirit and I release these thoughts, I just sit with God in faith that I can sense God's doing something in me. God's drawing me to him and and God is strengthening me in my relationship. But I can't tell you what it is. I just have this sense. Her comment to me was that she had heard things like this before from people, and then interestingly enough, some of those people had ended up in some very challenging circumstances where they then saw how God had been preparing them. So that was October 2017. Excuse me, I said that date wrong. October 2017. In January 2018, I learned that I would no longer have my job at the church where I had been on staff for 14 years. And I had been specifically asked to take my family and move them to London, To lead a church plant there, but that if I did not lead that church plant there, I did not have a job, and my job would be given to somebody else on staff. So it wasn't that my job was going away, it was being given to somebody else. For those of you that know the Enneagram, that is a direct hurt of the wounding message of what my Enneagram number is. You're loved for what you do, not for who you are. And though the leadership of my church in no way intended to be hurtful to me, in no way, shape, or form do I believe that. I was loved and have been loved and I'm still loved so well by that leadership and by my friends who are still leaders in that church. Though not intended, that was an incredibly challenging moment. Because for me to take my kids to London had lots of implications to my family that I won't go into. And yet we genuinely had interest and desire to go. God made it very clear to us that we were not to go. And so we knew that I would no longer have this position with these people in this church that I loved and that I still love and people I be with people I care about and who are part of my community. And then not only would I lose my job, but we would lose our community as well in that. And in that moment when I heard London or you don't have a job, I knew why I'd been sitting since July. And I knew what I meant when I said in October to my spiritual director, God's doing something and I don't know what it is. And I knew in January, it's none of my business what you're doing with me. But I know now you've been preparing me for this. And not only that moment of decision, but then every moment of decision from there to then determine what are we supposed to do? What is is in front of us now for our job? which led to starting a nonprofit and starting a business and living month to month wondering if we would have money and a salary. And throughout this time, God has held me in that space. And the days that I doubt and I question, the nights I lie in bed and I say, God, God, I hope you're real, because I have those thoughts. God, I hope you're real, because I'm struggling. I wake up in the morning and I go to my sit Because in faith and trust, I believe that God is showing up and God is meeting me. And I said to my spiritual director months later, sometimes my sit is my biggest statement of my faith. That I sit here and believe that God is showing up for me. Because I do believe it. Because I have faith in it. Because I trust it. And because I know that this is also forming and shaping my desires to be for God above everything else. So I believe that centering prayer is deeply impactful because it's true, because of the impact it's had on my own life. If we want to continually be renewed as disciples to desire God, we have to live attentively attentively in the here and now. And to live attentively in the here and now with God, we must pray. Otherwise, we'll desire everything else but God and his kingdom. I don't know anyone who I respect in their faith and walk with God who doesn't have a prayer life that is consistent. Everyone that I know that's been a mentor to me, that's discipled me, that I look to and respect has a prayer life that is rich and important. That is all about communing and communicating with God. Oh, in a variety of ways. These people have a variety of types of prayer lives. Some of them love to pray with other people. Some of them do lots of journaling. Some of them do lots of praying aloud. Some of them do very, very consistent forms of acts of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Others walk in the practice of the presence of God, Allah, Brother Lawrence if you know the book, Practice of the Presence of God where you practice God's presence even when you're scrubbing the pans or you're scrubbing the floor in the monastery as Brother Lawrence did. But they all have a continual conversation, communing and communicating with God. If you desire God in Jesus Christ and his mission to be lived out through your life, and if if prayer is not part of your life, then I would dare say you've got to figure it out or you will eventually no longer desire God. Because prayer is the space where our hearts and our desires and our longings and our wants are shaped and formed for God. And this kind of prayer, wordless sometimes, like the daily sit, is a sacred privilege. We get to unite ourselves to God. Isn't that amazing? Let's let's just pause for a moment. God of the universe created everything. Incomprehensible, right? So much we don't know and understand about God. Says, I'll unite myself to you as an individual. There are days, I think that's so crazy, that I wonder if God's real. Like how, you're so personal to know all of us so individually? That's, That's just nuts to me. That would like, that just can't be. And yet, it would make sense that only God could be both transcendent and incomprehensible and yet imminent and personal and unite God's self to you and to me. So it is a sacred privilege that we get to sit with God. And we get to then see how prayer forms and purifies our desire for God. So back to our starting point. What do you desire? What do you long for in your life? What are the deep-seated wants in the heart of who you are? If it is for God and Jesus Christ then you and I must pray. Otherwise, we will desire everything but God and go after all of the pretty things that steal our hearts away. I want to invite us to a few moments of silence. I invite you to take a posture in your chair that is comfortable for you, and I want to invite you to close your eyes. And I won't invite us to do this for 20 minutes, but I am going to invite us to just sit for a few moments with God. And if you decide you want to try the daily sit, this is simply the idea that tomorrow morning or later today, you find a chair, you sit yourself in a posture that's comfortable to you, you take your phone or some other kind of timer, not a stopwatch. Stopwatch means you're in control of the time. Timer means that the timer's in control of the time. And you just try it. Just sit for five minutes. And when the thoughts come, just let them go. And come back to God. Pay attention to your breath. Hold a sacred word in your mind like Jesus or loved or a phrase like, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Something like that. And let yourself return to God in that space. Don't evaluate it. There's nothing you can do wrong except get up and leave because you're just sitting with God. And God is doing business with you in ways that you don't need to know what God's doing about with yet. God will show you in God's time. So let me invite you now to sit in silence for a few moments, and then I'll close the time in prayer. I marvel at the fact that as we sit with you in solitude, yet surrounded by our friends and community, as we sit with you in silence and in stillness, I do marvel that you can do what we certainly can't do as humans. You can be present to each one of us, individually, as well as in a unique way, present present to the community of the people of God of this church, communing with us, knowing us and letting us know you. That's remarkable. It is beyond my comprehension. And we are grateful. We thank you for that sacred privilege that we are invited to continually commune with you and communicate with you. We are invited to the sacred privilege to know and believe and to trust that you are communing and communicating back with us. And we do pray in faith, in trust, that you in this time of communion will continually, Father, in our lives, transform and purify and shape our desires to be for you above all else. For you alone truly satisfy. In Jesus' name.